Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, and I have the wonderful privilege to be here with Ben Huntsman, who's joining us all the way from Fukuyama, Japan. Ben, who was born in Nevada but moved to Oregon at 14, went to Portland State University and had his first job at 10 years old and has been picking up odd jobs ever since. Now, I first met Ben when he was in the Air Force, and he spent six years on active duty before making the courageous jump to change complete career paths and go off to get an advanced degree in computer and electrical engineering. And after taking some internships at Intel and other companies, decided to move his family to Japan in 2016. Once getting to Japan, he taught school at different levels of the elementary, primary, secondary, and at the university level for a few years, and then moved to the logistics industry. He's now started his own company, FFI Systems, where he continues to do government contracts and other logistics work and contracting services. Well, welcome, Ben. So excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I should also mention, and this is one thing that we may ask some interesting questions about because we don't get it. It'll be some interesting logistics movements as well. Ben and his wonderful wife, Akari, have 11 children. And I imagine some guests will have some questions about the logistics of having 11 children in Japan. So I wanted to throw that out there, a wonderful, large family there in Japan. So I failed to mention that in the bio, but I couldn't fail to mention that because it's just a lovely family that you have there. <laughs> Thank Ben, you speak English and Japanese and you were an Arabic linguist in the Air Force. So you have a propensity for languages and we know that you're good at those and you decided to go off to be an engineer. And so what prompted that decision to go off and study such a different discipline in the first place? It's kind of uh, interesting. So I don't have like this uh, idea of this is what I like or this is what I do. Even this is who I am. Right. So I'm always looking for change, which has led me down a lot of different roads, a lot of different opportunities. And, you know, I was at a crossroads when I was in the Air Force. Do I extend my enlistment or do I get out and go back to school? And, you know, it just felt like the right time to do that. And of course, I was in uh, linguistics. So I had originally applied to my university and was accepted to their international studies program and was going to do international studies and continue in that field. But really, at the last minute, felt like I needed to go into engineering. And so I essentially, right before I left the Air Force, applied for the engineering program and changed everything and uh, started something new. That's a interesting thing for me just to make such a drastic change. Now, how was that being an engineering school? Was it, was it hard or challenging? How, how'd you make that transition? I was 31 when I went back to school, uh, essentially because of engineering, I went back to school for a bachelor's degree to get a bachelor's degree in engineering, in engineering before getting my master's. Right. And that was interesting because the majority of my peers in that environment were 18, 19, 20 year olds, you know, uh, who are single by themselves, enjoying, you know, that kind of life. And when I went back to school, 
I had six kids. So surrounded by single people who are 10 years my junior. And it was definitely an interesting experience because, you know, I had a family of six to support while going to school full time, you know, spend time with my kids while trying to do well in school. And so that was definitely a difficult, you know, a a difficult situation. But I mean, one thing I can say I was grateful for was the GI Bill. Wouldn't have been possible without that. It definitely helps out a lot. I appreciate that as well. Um, You know, one of the characteristics of servant leadership articulated by Larry Spears is awareness. And he talks about general awareness and especially self-awareness strengthens the servant leader. Now, I think that's one of these traits that you have. You already talked about your awareness of not really trying to put yourself in a box of like what you are or what you do or what you like and how you made this quick last minute change of linguistics from international relations to go into engineering. Now, as this older student in this college environment with many of these other people coming from a military mindset where you're putting these leadership opportunities And as a person who I know cares a lot about people, did you find yourself in any opportunities to be a leader among your peers and influence them in study groups or any other ways? Yeah, it was, was, I guess, because of, I don't know, my experiences of, of, you know, not putting myself in a, you know, I guess, I guess I could say in a box. I've always, I mean, from a young age, had friends from all different backgrounds, you know, and that made it so that, you know, even though I was in an environment where I, in many ways, I felt inadequate because I didn't feel as smart, I didn't feel as capable as, you know, these 19, 20 year olds, but I still was able to find, you know, common grounds, still was able to find opportunities to talk to them about different things. And because I had experienced, you know, my experience in the Air Force leadership roles there and, you know, meeting different kinds of people, I was able to, you know, some of them give guidance, you know, talk to them about other opportunities. And for the majority of them, you know, they hadn't ever had any other jobs or anything like that. And, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, I've done many different things, which allowed me with some of the people that I talked to, to discuss with them whether or not engineering was really the right choice for them. You know, some, there were some people who struggled with the idea of doing that, you know, whether or not it was really what they wanted to do. Uh, and so I watched a couple of people who left that program and, and decided to do other things. And that's so valuable at that point in their career to have that sounding board. And so I think what a remarkable influence of servant leadership and to build those relationships at such a pivotal point in someone's life. And it's interesting that you voice that semblance of imposter syndrome about not thinking you're smart enough. And, you know, sometimes we need to surround ourselves, whether you were or weren't smart enough, we need to surround ourselves with people that are smarter than us and find our strengths. And that's where that awareness or general awareness and self-awareness comes into that equation of servant leadership is recognizing what do we lend ourselves to that conversation and how you surround yourself with these people in that environment and how you know you brought those experiences and those different life experiences to the table and they had theirs. 
And it's, I love the way that you phrased it because you never once talked about their age as a weakness and your age as a weakness. You just looked at it as where they were at in their different life journey and you bridged that. And so I think there's some value in the way that you just approach that, that was never voiced, but that we can all learn from in our different roles and the different organizations we have. Because I think too often we look at age and immediately we start to see barriers. We see a a boss or a supervisor or maybe even a leader, if they're acting as such, that is younger than us. And we immediately take power from them or authority from them because of their age or, or different things like that. And so just a wonderful modeling that you did there, Ben, that I really appreciate. And is there any other thoughts you want to add to that under that kind of framing? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if this will kind of derail your thoughts or, or uh, take us in a different direction, but being in Japan, all of the things that you just mentioned, like being able to you know, bridge the gap between, between different roles, different positions, uh, different age groups is extremely difficult in Japan because Japan is a class society and so much so that, you know, from the time that kids are in elementary school, first, second, and third grade are considered essentially the lower level of elementary school, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade are higher level of elementary school. Um, and then there's also just each grade. A sixth grader is, has more authority than a fifth grader and uh, just due to age nothing but age so that is a a difficult environment to to work in when you want to try to bridge those gaps yeah it's interesting too and i think not just in japan we have i think even without the class society we see those things happen even in in the united states sometimes as well we do that even unintentionally sometimes so that can happen, right? And you know, you mentioned something to me as we were catching up because Ben and I have been friends for a long time. And you know, I've known his wife Akari for a long time. And I, one of the things that I found interesting just talking about different cultures is it, the Japanese don't like root beer, and we in the United States tend to like root beer a lot. And so, <laughs> just sharing different things about cultures, right? And so, we we once played a mean joke on our, one of our friends and tried to convince him that Akari liked root beer, and she scowled at him for. Why would he offer her a root beer? And we we laughed really hard at that. And so it was pretty funny. But going back, you know, Ben was sharing with me that when Akari was in the United States, she had to rely on him for the taxes, the the legalities and all that stuff. And I just found that so interesting. And then when you made the decision to move to Japan, how did that relationship change? And how do you think that changed you as a servant leader and just as a person and in society, in the home? And just kind of how did that make you more compassionate as a leader as well? That's a difficult one. You know, you know, I had, I guess you could say, become comfortable uh, with having my wife, my spouse, be reliant on me for, for so many things. And then having those roles essentially reversed, right? Me then relying on her uh, for things that were really important for you know our family and really important for our living really you know changed my perspective i saw her grow moving back to japan i think was one of the best things for her to see her i guess you could say need to take on that role and 
to see me rely on her um, for so much really, in many ways, strength, strengthened our relationship. And very difficult for me, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, I really got to see an amazing change in her. Yeah, I just think that's such a powerful framing for so many of us to think about because, you know, we can get very comfortable in our situational roles of, you know, paying the bills, taking care of taxes, whatever it may be. But these little things, transitioning these thoughts even into our workplaces or schooling or even how we deal with our kids or just whoever we deal with, this, uh, th- that way you phrase that, seeing her grow, that change, allowing her getting, we can manufacture these changes. We don't have to make a big life event if we're thoughtful and intentional about them. And I think that this example of you moving to Japan and how we think about what that did for Akari, that really can help us think about, all right, she needed to take on this responsibility because you didn't know anything about Japanese laws, Japanese taxes, how to do these things. So she had to step up into this role that she wasn't necessarily natural for your where your relationship had come, but she she could do it because she's a talented woman and she just wasn't doing it at that time. So that's fine. But so she stepped up and did it. And, you know, but we can get comfortable, you know, minimizing people's abilities. And so sometimes we need to look for ways to manufacture ways to let people grow and shine and not take on too much ourselves. And you know, what do you think about how we can manufacture more opportunities for people in all different settings like that? Yeah, it's so true. You know, I definitely wish that we would have done it sooner. You know, we were married for 13 years before making that change. You know, it would have been nice to have, for one, have that additional help for me as a, you know, with, with her, helping her grow to be able to help with those things earlier on would have been a great help for me so that uh, we can share those responsibilities. Uh, so, you know, really in, uh, you know, in a work environment or in a family environment, you know, looking for those opportunities to, to help someone grow. And sometimes it can be really difficult for them though. You know, a- an example, I guess, of that would be, you know, my oldest son right now, who's going to be turning 20 this year. He has uh, ADHD and he has a difficulty with changing things and 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 when he has his mind set on something if something changes then it just really really frustrates him and so right now he had gone out of the house for about 6 months trying to you know um experience life on his own he came back and said i want to study i want to to learn something new and and grow uh, so i tried that before tried helping him with that but at this point it took him to make the decision of i want to do something now and now i'm faced every day with how do i help him on that path right and uh, so right now he's you know he's helping me you know with my company um he's building a a web app or a, a mobile application that you know it's a very big struggle for him because you, know, you have to focus, you have to, he's learning something completely new. It's really difficult for him to focus more than like 15 minutes. When I try to, to help him, you know, help him work through his frustrations, you know, he gets really worked up, really frustrated and really, really defensive about everything, you know? So doing this 
uh, you know, looking for opportunities and, and helping people grow isn't easy, but trying to help them grow from where they're at is, uh, man, I can't say anything more than just saying that, that, uh, sometimes I feel like I want to give up. Yeah. You know, it's tough. And Robert Greenleaf said about what Larry Spears was saying about, or well, he said it before Larry Spears said it because Larry Spears quoted Robert Greenleaf as saying, you know, awareness is not a giver of solace. It's just the opposite. It is a disturber and an awakener. Able leaders are usually sharply awake and reasonably disturbed. They are not seekers after solace. They have their own inner serenity. Meaning like mm-hmm. you have to disturb that peace to get people to want to break out of their comfort zone. And yeah. it, it's a difficult process because you're constantly balancing between how do I get people out of their comfort zone and push them into the growth zone, but not so far that they're into the panic zone. And so that's a difficult challenge because with Benjamin there, you, it's a fine get him too far. He's in that panic zone where he doesn't want to work on the app. And so you have to constantly pull him back into the the growth zone without pulling him too far into the comfort zone, right? Where he's not doing anything again. And so it's a, it's a give and take situation and that I think many of us can realize that that happens with a lot of the people we work with in all given situations, whether it's volunteer work, organizational work, family work, you know, these are very applicable situations that just cross so many boundaries. And so I think that that is a great relevant story that you shared. Yeah. Well, I love it. Now, so you get to Japan and you studied as an engineer, you're, but you're, you're from the United States. So you get over there. I, I have to imagine it must not have been easy you're making all these changes all at once. You know, we've talked about one of these challenges. You get over there, you're learning a whole new culture. You know, you'd lived in Japan before, so it wasn't completely new to you. This was a lot different because now you're going over there to work and provide for a big family and you're in a completely new career field for the first time as a professional. So what did you do? How was, how'd that work out for you? We moved to Japan or actually let me back up. You know, when, after we got married, we said that uh, we would not want to raise our kids in Japan because we knew of you know the culture we knew the environment we knew that that it was going to be really difficult for them to you know be really difficult to raise a family in japan um all that would be required of us all that would be required of them you know in the environment that they would be in would be difficult and but you know as i was finishing uh, up school and you know looking to see where we're going to go i was offered uh, a after my internship i was offered a full-time position at intel and so i had no reason to leave essentially i was offered my dream job at intel you know and no reason to leave whatsoever but we felt like there's no other time that we can do it and we really felt like we need to and that was a very difficult decision for us to make uh, especially after having you know, 10 plus years of feeling like no way, no way, no way. Uh, so um, essentially we went, we came to Japan with no plan, no idea of what we were going to do. No, I had no idea 
if I was going to find a job. And, uh, you know, knowing the environment, I was definitely not sure if I wanted to work at some Japanese company because of, of the difficulties with that. So, you know, we went from a very, very comfortable situation to, to a situation where we, our whole family was being tried. You know, the kids were being, were having difficult time at school being, I guess you could say bullied, you know, being, being treated as, as different because, you know, they're half American. And I just started doing whatever work I could do because I couldn't find any engineering work. And so I, I taught English. I taught, uh, because of my engineering experience, I taught programming and I taught how to use computers. And, you know, since I had, a, you know, a company doing that and uh, did very well doing that. But yeah, I mean, again, it was one of those ideas of, you know, leaving, not knowing what was going to happen and experiencing all new things. What did you learn from that teaching experience and and how did it help you become a better leader? Uh, you mean teaching experiences and growing at, from, you know, this, this difficult experience is what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, well, and I think both the metaphorical teaching experience and the physical teaching experience, because you were okay. actively teaching too. Um, yeah. So let me take the metaphorical one first. I think that, that one is uh, a little bit e- easier, I guess, to explain. You know, as I already explained, you know, of course, my, you know, seeing the changes in, in my wife, you know, and, and in my kids, but learn, I guess, say learning again, that change is a good thing. There's the saying that the only thing that doesn't change is change. The only thing that's constant is change. And I have had so many experiences in my life where, you know, I learned that over and over again. And, you know, I feel that God has continually tried to teach me that don't get complacent. Don't just be comfortable. Always look for opportunities to change. And because of that, uh, it changes how we view people. It changes the kinds of people that we can communicate with. If we're ready for whatever change, then we realize that we're all at different levels. That means that I can talk to someone who's younger than me, older than me. I feel comfortable with them in any situation. And you learn through those life experiences to have empathy with people in their life experiences. And whether or not they want to accept that, that, uh, that you understand them or not, because that's an, a, a very common response of you don't understand my issue. But really, you know, through these experiences, that's, I think what we learn, we're ready to accept change. Yeah, that's now, a beautiful. Thought. Yeah. Now, in terms of the physical, real life teaching experiences, um, you know, teaching from, you know, all the way from elementary, you know, uh, you know, my young, I shouldn't say that, I should say kindergarten, you know, my youngest student, my youngest students teaching English was, was three years old, right? All the way through, uh, university teaching technical English. So teaching how to write technical reports and also, uh, medical English to medical students, you know, things like that. Seeing the, just the variety of attitudes towards education, the really, really the, the differences in the, in the kinds of students 
even the the kinds of students depending on what department they are in you know uh, students that are in that are studying uh like uh, physical education or finance compared to engineering or medical students their commitment to learning their commitment to you know their assignments their their willingness to talk to their teacher that was a huge learning experience uh, just that alone also i really liked the idea of you know gathering as much information as possible especially about my students to know kind of what they're what they would uh, be interested in so i always did a survey at the beginning of of my classes of each semester and i was amazed absolutely amazed at the university level that 80% of my students and during the time that i was university a university professor i was i taught i don't know a couple uh a couple thousand students right and 80% of them said that their hobby was playing video games and that they spent 8 to 10 hours a day playing video games 80% of my students said that that wasn't even me saying is your hobby video games it was what hobby do you have and and then they write it in and then saying how much time do you spend on this and they tell me 8 or 10 hours a day so that was an eye opener and uh really helped me change my way of 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 teaching yeah that's uh fascinating two themes i think i really want to touch on from everything that you said the first one i just i go back about complacency when i was in iraq on all the the big barriers we call them jersey barriers the big concrete barriers that they had they mm-hmm. had these stamped letters that said complacency kills um yeah. just you know like when you get complacency you're you know you're more apt to miss an id or more apt to miss something that's probably going to you're going to die and so but i think about that phrase all the time i can actually see that image in my mind because that phrase complacency kills actually has so much double meaning in so many contexts and you know it it kills so many things it kills collaboration it kills productivity it kills the way we interact with people when we get complacent about people it kills our ability to relate to them it kills our ability to connect on a deeper level it just complacency it just kills everything and so i love the <laughs> fact that you brought that up and that transitions to my second theme that you brought up is like you, you connected at such a deeper level with the way you transitioned about learning about how different students approached learning different ways about how your students hobby was video games and how that had to change your way you taught and just different things and how you needed to learn more about your students so you did surveys and i just think about like going back to complacency like we need to spend time getting to know people and going back to Marcus Kennedy's episode the last episode the more time we spend getting to know people at a deeper level really having real conversations about people about the things that matter to them we can have a deeper impact in their lives and getting beyond that complacency because that's the thing that kills relationship and depth of meaning between us and just some powerful thoughts and so i want to leave that opportunity with now to make the invitation for this episode and spend time evaluating yourself with that awareness topic some self-awareness some general awareness and 
Think about where you're complacent in your life right now. Where are you not spending time getting to know the people around you or taking that depth of, of evaluation and make some actions to remedy your complacency in your life right now. Take some intentional actions to remedy the complacency in, in the aspects where you're most complacent. And then take steps to move beyond that and fix the other areas of complacency and then build a plan to make habits to continually remedy complacency on a regular basis in your life. Because that's what's going to keep you alive in your relationships with others and in your servant leadership. Anything you'd like to add to that, Ben? Oh, that's, yeah, absolutely true. Exactly as you said, you know, complacency really uh, leads us to lose control, lose, lose our relationships, lose, lose our, in, in some cases, lose our minds. So, you know, I'm, I think that that's uh, exactly um, what, you know, even right now, you know, as you were saying that I'm like, yeah, I think I need to do that right now. Well, I love, I love it. I love it when I can give a thought that people want to take action on. So that's a good thing. And you inspired it. So take some credit where credit is due. Now, I think, so you, you transitioned from teaching, you go on to this company. So what led to that transition from teaching? Because you obviously were kind of making some success there. So why did you decide to move on from teaching? That's an interesting story. I really wasn't planning on it. I mean, I was, I was pretty happy where, where I was. We we're doing well. Our, our company, we were doing, I was putting in a lot of hours. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we had made a lot of relationships, made a lot of good relationships with, with a lot of people through that, met a lot of amazing people. And there was, of course, continuing new opportunities with that. And then just one day out of the blue, the, I guess, leadership of a group of companies uh, contacted me and asked if I'd be willing to meet them to talk about a business opportunity with them. And so I said, okay, that sounds interesting. And so I met with them and they asked me to help them work uh, or help them get contracts with the U.S. government and primarily logistics. uh, But that group of companies were logistics, agriculture, uh, vehicle maintenance, and, you know, like all, all kinds of different things. But yeah, they asked me to, to help them with uh, U.S. government contracting, and they wanted to get into that market here in Japan. There being, you know, quite a few bases for the military here. The closest one being MCAS Iwakuni, the, the Marine base that's about two hours from here. And I was like, well, that seems kind of interesting. And uh, so at first I was just consulting for them and just kind of seeing where that was going to go. And then for me, a full t- uh, like a full-time position to, to leave what I was doing, to come and work for them. Um, and uh, so that was a difficult decision because I was really interested and I was doing very interesting things. Again, I was able to also go back into engineering because they didn't have that in their group. They had no one doing IT, no one doing a- anything for their systems. So it was like, I could come in and, and do two things that were really interesting to me uh, back in engineering and also back in in uh, working with the government, with the U.S. government. And so 
after some, you know, real pondering, uh, pondering and, and, and praying about it, we decided to do it. That's right when Corona hit. So, um, I mean, if I hadn't taken that opportunity, if I hadn't done that, uh, all of my other jobs would have disappeared. All of the English jobs and a lot of the, the instruction that was not considered absolutely necessary were removed from all schools and uh which meant that i would have lost everything you know um even my private business would have all gone because i wouldn't have been able to do private lessons or hold uh, hold classes anymore uh which meant that everything would have been gone so that change to uh to do that was definitely a godsend of blessing yeah, that's just uh, some perfect timing. Such a blessing, you know, and uh good opportunity to get you some good experience with engineering and IT to go ahead and start your own business. So you go ahead and got some good experience. You go got moving. And so now you're off on your own business. Tell us a little bit about your business and what, what your kind of focus is on your business and what motivates you to support your customers. Actually, when I decided to start my company, before I decided what I was going to do, I decided, I guess you could say why I was going to do it. I wanted to work for a company. I wanted to be a part of a company that put their employees first. And that, in my mind, means that my employees will put my clients first. And I wanted an environment in which my employees felt encouraged, uplifted, supported. And in turn, my clients would feel encouraged, uplifted, and supported. So, of course, depending on what kind of business it is, that changes what that means, uh, you know, how all of those things happen. So the next thing had to be, uh, what do I do? Right. And so I decided that, well, I have a big family. Right. So I have to make sure that whatever I do is going to support them. So then uh, thinking about all my experiences that I could take advantage of the relationships that I made in my last role, my last company and uh, support contractors that work for the U.S. government as a consultant. But I guess going back to what I just said about the why, not a consultant, but as a partner you know, working alongside them, with them, um, caring as much about their company as I do mine, and really caring about that relationship with them and the relationship that they have with, with the U.S. government and helping support that relationship. So the what became whatever it is they need to help support them in performing their duties as uh, U.S. government contractors. Of course, I do work for companies that aren't U.S. government contractors as well. Uh, but in terms of, of that relationship, you know, supporting, partnering with them as much as possible, really, you know, I don't feel like I am just uh, some other uh, service provider. You know, that's not what I want it to be. 
I wanted to be really someone that they could that they could rely on, they could treat as you know, as someone of their own, you know, which is a very isn't always easy. It can be a difficult uh, situation. Totally tough situation, but I love that focus to treat their company the same as your own. Such a beautiful way to build a partnership. And, you know, I think that's the way that we could build better relationships in all that we do in our organizations, the way we interact with our customers, such a way to build these teams around us and such a great philosophy, such a beautiful way to build servant leadership in every facet of our lives. So just wonderful. Now, the final question I have for you as we wrap up, just because I wonder about it, I, 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 I won't project that our other guests wonder about it. This is a purely selfish question. So if you guests wonder about it, you can join with me. What's the hardest thing about having 11 kids in Japan? <laughs> Actually, um, having to answer the question of how many kids do you have? <laughs> <laughs> and then the the aftermath of that. <laughs> What's the typical aftermath? Uh, let's see. First, it's like, what did you just say? <laughs> and then uh, after saying again, and it's like, really? <laughs> and then it's like, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really like this, 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 uh, you know, multiple uh, levels of reaction, you know, that, that really just starts out with like, it's almost like they, they didn't hear, they're like, no way. Did you really just say that? That's a, uh, that, I mean, that I'm, I'm just kind of joking about that, but the most difficult thing would be school, hearing the things that they have to deal with at school. Um, Lots of, uh, at least in the past, it's not, I don't hear it so much recently, but, um, you know, for our older kids who came here when they were in elementary school, hearing about the, the, the battles that they had with, you know, bullying and what's the word? Not racism. Discrimination. Thank you, Daniel. You know, having that, you know, bullying, discrimination, um, things like that. Related to, um, you know, either being American or being white or, you know, just being different. It's not necessarily about the number of kids. It's really about the environment that that we have to raise them in. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I've wondered that for a long time. Just for you listening, I've known the Huntsman family for quite some time. They they had a issue with their one of their first homes that they bought and. They actually lived with the Pankow family for a, a little while. So Ben, Akari, Benjamin, Daniel, Samuel, and I believe, um, was it Samuel? Just or was Samuel. It, just a Samuel, right? Yeah, yeah, the three boys at that time. They all they stayed with us for six weeks, I believe. They lived in our home, and it was a wonderful situation. And Kari's mom actually came and visited from Japan and stayed with us for a little while. And she was a marvelous woman. And she makes really good curry. I'll just tell you that. So it was phenomenal. <laughs> um, so uh, I and we we haven't caught up in some time. So it was nice to chat with him today. But I've been I've been wanting to ask that question for a while. So it took a selfish liberty here on the podcast. And I always think about the trains. That's what I think about the most is getting all those kids on the trains. 
Um, but obviously my answer was not the the right one. <laughs> so, um, uh, that um, definitely can be a chore. Yeah. So, well, I, I appreciate you being on today. I've, it's been a, a wonderful, fruitful discussion. Any final thoughts to wrap us up today, Ben? You know, I would like to say thank you, Keith, for having me and, and thank you for your friendship for, for a long time. Um, and, you know, as you just said, thank you for letting us come and stay in your house for, for a while. It was a great experience. A lot of uh, long nights, you know, talking late, late in the night together. Yeah. I mean, thank you for your podcast. Thank you for all those who have joined the podcast and, and are supporting the podcast. You know, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, like Keith, I'm, I believe in, in, uh, change. I believe in, in uh, trying to be a better servant leader. So yeah, let's keep it going. Yeah. Thanks for those comments, Ben. Thanks all of you for joining us. Please like, subscribe, review, and share the podcast with those others so that we can all be edified and like Ben's trying to do there in Japan, make the world a better place person by person, relationship by relationship, and have a wonderful day. 